Welcome to the First Church Orlando podcast. Here you will find recordings of weekly sermons, devotions, interviews, and seminar recordings from the First United Methodist Church of Orlando. For more information about First Church Orlando, please visit our website at firstchurchorlando.org or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Now, enjoy the podcast. Today, for our scripture reading, uh, we read Luke chapter 1, beginning with verse 26. When Elizabeth was six months pregnant, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a city in Galilee, to a virgin who was engaged to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David's house. The virgin's name was Mary. When the angel came to her, he said, Rejoice, favored one, the Lord is with you. She was confused by these words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. The angel said, Don't be afraid, Mary. God is honoring you. Look, you will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be great. And he will be called Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of David, his father. He will rule over Jacob's house forever, and there will be no end to his kingdom. Then Mary said to the angel, How will this happen, since I haven't had sexual relations with a man? The angel replied, The Holy Spirit will come over you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the one who is to be born will be holy. He will be called God's son. Look, even in her old age, your relative Elizabeth has conceived a son. This woman who was labeled unable to conceive is now six months pregnant. For nothing is impossible for God. Then Mary said, I am the Lord's servant. Let it be with me just as you have said. And then the angel left her. This is the word of God for the people of God. And now, Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of each heart be acceptable and pleasing in your sight, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. I don't think I'll ever forget what I was thinking or feeling the morning of Tuesday, March 29th, 1994. It was that morning that we were loading up our two-day-old newborn daughter in the parking lot of Durham Regional Medical Center in Durham, North Carolina. And I remember before ever leaving that parking lot thinking very clearly, what have we done? What have we gotten ourselves into? How are we really ready for this responsibility? Are we really ready to take care of this baby? Who approved of this? And I remember the very distinct feeling that morning that whatever my life had been up to that moment had changed forever. I didn't have a clue what was next but I knew what had been was no more. Now, don't get me wrong. We were ready. We thought we were ready. We 
planned for that pregnancy. We've been married about three years. We were both in good health. We both had good health insurance. I was finishing up seminary, was about to move to my very first church as a pastor, moving into a parsonage that was being prepared for us. We had bought or were given all the stuff, the the crib, the playpen, the car seat, the stroller, the the bottles, the onesies, the diaper. You, You know, it's a lot of stuff. We'd taken Lamaze classes. We'd read parenting books. Kelly had taken prenatal vitamins. I just ate a lot of ice cream and donuts. And yet I felt in that moment, that morning as we were driving away from the hospital, that I was, I knew I was totally unprepared. Now, now I want to give credit where credit is due. Kelly was great from the start. She was born ready to parent I was traumatized. I seriously considered sending Kelly and my daughter on home and seeing if I could check back into the hospital for a few days for myself. Anyone who has had a child will tell you that bringing a baby into their home, into their life, into their world changes everything, everything. Your focus changes, your attention changes, your priorities change, your sleep schedule change, your buying habits, particularly the grocery store, change. Your center of gravity shifts from whatever it used to be, probably me, to now this baby that needs your care and love and attention. Your sense of responsibility increases exponentially. And I would add that one of the craziest things, one of the most amazing things, one of the most surprising things is discovering within yourself a greater capacity to love than you ever knew existed. That no matter how much you loved your partner with whom you have conceived this child, when you hold the child that's your own flesh and blood, that's your beloved's flesh and blood, well, it makes an impact. I suspect I'm not just telling you my own story. Some of this may relate to any of you who have been parents. And if it's true for us as parents, I wonder how it might have been true also for Mary and Joseph as they discovered that they unexpectedly were becoming parents, but not just parents of anyone, parents of a child that would not just change their world, but the world itself. Now there's a lot to the story, a lot has been added to it through the years, so let's just go to the Bible and see what the Bible tells us about this incredible birth. Here's what we know from Scripture. There was a young Jewish woman, probably a teenager, named Mary. She lived in a rural village, a nowhere place, a small place, a poor place called Nazareth. And she was betrothed to a man named Joseph. Betrothal is very similar to marriage engagement. Similar but different. It's a lot less romantic and a lot more legal. It's a legal arrangement. They had practiced arranged marriage in that time and place. That meant that that Mary's parents had had a conversation with Joseph's parents, probably, and they had formed a legal document, a binding agreement that these two will be wed. We have no idea how well they knew each other or if they were in love. It was a legal arrangement. 
Scripture also tells us that this young Jewish woman was a virgin, meaning that she not had sexual relationship with Joseph or, or anyone else. And that was important both in terms of this betrothal arrangement, it would have been assumed in a traditional religious culture of that time, that a young woman and groom would be a virgin. But we also know that it has theological impact on the story. This child would not be conceived in the normal way that children are. This child would be conceived in the power of the Holy Spirit. Thus, Son of God and Son of Mary. Gabriel says to Mary, you will have a child. He will be great. He will be called Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of David, his father. He will rule over Jacob's house forever, and there will be no end to his kingdom. Well, that's Mary's side of the story. Then there's Joseph, and apparently Joseph had a a hard time believing the story. An angel visited you? You've been, you've conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit. You're pregnant with the Savior of the world. He apparently was not convinced. And so he set about the process of undoing this legal betrothment. But in a dream, the angel also visited Joseph, saying, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife because the child she carries was conceived by the Holy Spirit. She gave birth to a son, and you will call him Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. I don't know if you've ever wondered this. I wonder why Mary and Joseph, of all the couples in the world that God might have chosen, why them? Church tradition has added some explanation. I'll say more about that in a moment. But certainly they weren't the only young Jewish virginal betrothed couple in all of the land. There could have been other choices. Why Mary and Joseph? Well, we get a hint from both Luke and Matthew. Joseph, who would be Jesus' earthly father, was a descendant of King David. In the Old Testament, it tells us that God promised King David that there would be a descendant of his on the throne of Israel forever. As a son of Joseph, he was a son of David, and thus heir to the throne, at least in a spiritual sense. Now, as I said, there's much made about Mary's virginity. It's important to the theology of the story that Jesus' origins are divine, that his birth was a miracle. But we know that it's not the only miraculous birth in Scripture. In fact, this is a, a theme throughout the Bible. Go all the way back to the book of Genesis, and we see that Abraham and Sarah are beyond childbearing age and childless, and yet God makes it possible for them to have Isaac, who then becomes one of the patriarchs and parents of the nation of Israel. Later in the Old Testament, Hannah gives birth to the prophet Samuel when it wasn't possible for Hannah to have a child. Mary's own cousin, Elizabeth, was six months pregnant when the angel visited Mary. Elizabeth and Zechariah were too old to have children and yet became parents of the man who would become John the Baptist. 
Obviously, the story of the virgin birth matters. It's theologically important. But I would argue that far more important than how Jesus was conceived, even though it was miraculous, that the greater miracle is Jesus himself. That God would come to us in human flesh in the form of a helpless infant. Our theme throughout this Advent and Christmas is a single word, closer, closer. God has come close to us in the human flesh, the life, the ministry of Jesus of Nazareth. In the message version of John 1, 14, it says, the word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. We talked about how God in the Old Testament was perceived as distant, Remote, far away in heaven, unreachable, and yet we believe that God in Christ is conceived in human flesh. We've talked about how God throughout eternity has been a trinity of three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Long before the birth of Jesus, the Son already pre-existed. He's also the Word through whom all things were made. And that Word became a human, a living human embryo. Last week we talked about God coming closer in the words of the prophets who spoke of a coming Messiah who would save the world. Well, that prophet was, that promise of the prophets, the Messiah was physically conceived into a particular moment of human history. Fulton Sheen says, when the divine child was conceived, Mary's humanity gave him hands and feet, eyes and ears, a body with which to suffer. Philip Yancey writes, God who knows no boundaries took on the shocking confines of a baby's skin, the ominous restraints of mortality. And Richard Rohr adds, we all become what we love. Hear that again. We all become what we love. God and Jesus became what God loves, human. The incarnation was an inevitable conclusion. I mean, that's the miracle, isn't it? Yes, virgin birth is miraculous, but the miracle really is that God became what God loves, us. For God so loved the world, that he gave his only son so that everyone who believes in him won't perish, but will have eternal life. God's love drove God to taking on flesh, entering into the shocking confines of baby skin, little infant toes and fingers, little tiny nose and mouth and eyes, Jewish flesh. Walter Wangren, one of my favorite authors, writes this as though he's talking to Mary. He says, heaven itself was swelling within you. Not in terrible glory would he come, this son of the most high God. Not in primal blinding light, nor as the shout by which God uttered the universe. Not yet with the trumpet that shall conclude it. But through your human womb as an infant bawling and hungry. By your labor, Mary, by the first con fierce contraction of your uterus, eternity would enter time. 
The other thing that Scripture teaches us about this couple, Mary and Joseph, is that they both said yes. When called upon by God through the angel Gabriel, they both consented. They both agreed. Luke one thirty eight. Mary said, I am the Lord's servant. Let it be with me just as you have said. And Matthew one twenty four says that when Joseph woke up, he did just as the angel from God commanded and took Mary as his wife. Now, I can't speak from experience, but I'm guessing that an angel is hard to say no to, right? If an angel shows up in your life, you're probably going to be more inclined to agree than to say, no, I don't think so. And yet, and yet, we believe in free will, don't we? We believe that God created each one of us with the responsibility, the opportunity, the gift of choice. Well, if that's true for us, if that's true for anyone, God must not just throw out free will when God wants us to do something. Mary and Joseph had to consent. They had to agree to be part of God's plan. Now, I'm not suggesting that God's will doesn't ultimately prevail. It does. But certainly, they must have had the freedom to say no. But more importantly, the freedom to say yes. It's not in God's nature to force or coerce or impose upon us God's will. Rather, God invites us to be part of it. God allows us to be part of it. God creates space for each of us to make our own decisions, to participate in God's work or not. Now, you might be thinking, Well, doesn't God know everything? Isn't God omniscient? Didn't God already know that Mary and Joseph would say yes? Of course. But that implies that God just went around looking for somebody that, oh, they'll say yes, let's ask them. Kind of like the way we do nominations here at church. Who can we get to say yes? No. Yes, God must have known, but yet God asked them because they were the ones and they willingly agreed. God invited, God called, and Mary and Joseph willingly, joyfully accepted. And Walter Wangren adds that by Mary's consent, she became the first of Jesus' disciples. That she was the first of many millions of men and women through the centuries who have said yes to being part of God's plan, to naming, acknowledging, to following Jesus as Savior. Mary, of course, became the embodiment of a miracle. God came close for us in the flesh of Mary. God came to us in the most intimate of ways. Leonardo Boff says, Mary is the temple where the Spirit and the Son dwell by the will of the Father. That simple woman of Nazareth became a temple of the living God. Is there any other moment in history when an unwed pregnant teen was referred to as a temple of the living God? It's a pretty bold theological statement. In the Greek Orthodox tradition, they refer to Mary as the Theotokos, Theotokos, the God-bearer. 
We know in the Roman Catholic Church that that Mary has a great place of prominence. Some say that she's almost like the fourth member of the Trinity, though that math doesn't exactly work. Catholics pray to Mary using their rosaries. They believe that she was immaculately conceived, meaning she had no sin, that she never died. She was assumed into heaven and that she reigns as the queen of heaven. As Methodists, we're part of a Protestant tradition. We don't embrace tradition in the same way that Roman Catholics do. Rather, we lean into the authority of Scripture. And thus, I think, in kind of reaction to Catholic emphasis on Mary, we've de-emphasized her, almost ignoring her year-round, except when we pull out her little figurine in our nativity sets. But I say that's our loss. That's our loss. What a central role Mary played in this important story. What an important role Mary played in salvation history. And what an inspiring example she is. For all of us, Mary said to the angel, let it be with me just as you have said. Let it be with me just as you have said. Will you say those words with me? Let it be with me just as you have said. Yes, that was her answer, but it can also be ours. She shows us what it's like to be willing, trusting, cooperative, and obedient. Let me ask all of you a question. Just reflect. When was the last time, in your own words, in your own way, you said to God, let it be. Let it be with me, just as you have said. Few of us will ever experience an angelic visit. Probably none of us will be asked to birth the Savior of the world as Mary did. And yet God is constantly calling and inviting all of us to be part of God's plan of salvation, to be part of God's kingdom as it unfolds in the world. Maybe it was during our recent stewardship campaign and you sensed God calling you to make a commitment to the coming year. Maybe we recently asked you to serve on a committee or to serve in some way or to be a leader in our church. Maybe you've been wrestling with a call. Maybe there's some moral or ethical dilemma you've been wrestling with or some important decision. Maybe God has been pointing out someone to you that needs assistance or maybe just a friend. Maybe you've been feeling a sense that you need to go deeper in your discipleship. Maybe there's some area of brokenness, addiction in your life that needs attention. Maybe one of those or some other is God speaking an invitation to you to do something new, to allow something new to be born in you. Will you say, like Mary, let it be. Let it be with me just as you have said. The author, Wendy Wright, says, Like Mary, we open to the Word. Like Mary, we gestate and give birth to the Word through the actions in our lives. Like Mary, we are the finite earthen vessels into which the infinite divine life is poured. In a sense, in a spiritual sense, We are all invited, every single one of us, every man, woman, and child, to be like Mary. 
to be people in which the Christ child is welcomed, to be people through whom the Christ child is still conceived, to be people through whom Christ is born into the world around us. Speaking of that night in Bethlehem when Mary and Joseph couldn't find a place to sleep, Dorothy Day says, It is no use saying that we are born 2,000 years too late to give room to Christ. Nor will those who live at the end of the world have been born too late. Christ is always with us, always asking for room in our hearts. Did you hear that? Christ is always with us, always asking for room in your heart and in mine. Through this young mother and father, through this miraculous conception and birth, God has come closer. A son is given. A child is born. A baby has come. And babies change everything, don't they? They change everything. Will you allow this child to be born in and through you? Let us pray. And so Christ, Jesus Christ, born in a manger, son of Mary and Joseph, son of God, be born in us today. Be reborn in us today. May we, with Mary, bear you in our hearts and our lives. Renew your love, renew your presence in each of us, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope you enjoyed the podcast and that you will listen again in the future. If you enjoyed today's message, we hope you'll subscribe to our podcast on your favorite platform and share it with others on social media. For more information about First Church Orlando, please visit our website at firstchurchorlando.org or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. If this podcast is a valuable resource to you, we invite you to give to this ministry by making a financial contribution at firstchurchorlando.org forward slash give. Now, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace.